Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 227 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Audrey Huey, all about author planning for 2024. Uh, on last week's episode with Cara Clare, Matthew Goodall said, great interview, got me thinking about how to write this genre and how to differentiate the characters. Thank you. I love that. I'm glad it was helpful. And yes, I think Reverse Harem is a really great genre to look at for that close-knit, you know, sort of larger cast, but where you want characters that are different. And Kara is a master of that. So yes, thank you very much. In personal news and updates then this week, I'm not 100%. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. I'm sort of doing this wobbly thing where one minute I'm absolutely fine with in my voice and the next minute I'm sounding a bit croaky and hoarse. Um, but nonetheless, the show must uh, go on. So that is also, I would say, <laughs> probably 100% self-induced. I've basically worked too long, too many hours and not rested uh, to the point where my wife had a conversation with me this morning that was along the lines of, it's all good and well that you're earning more money, but not if you kill yourself to do it. And I was like, right, right, yes, okay. So it's enforced rest this morning, this morning, <laughs> this, this weekend. Um, and it's just, it's the psychology of, oh, I'm doing better financially, therefore I don't want that to stop, therefore work myself harder. Uh, and I get that that is not the right psychology, at least I'm aware of it. <coughs> and, you know, so I'm working on it. I'm, I'm trying to recognise the fact that working harder does not mean like working smarter and I am trying to make sure that from next week I'm a good girl <laughs> and I don't work too many evenings and I make sure that I take off the weekends and essentially what happened is I was really desperate to get the book finished and so I ended up working about two weeks straight without a day off and I was then working into the evenings as well because with um, bringing on Shopify with sort of the boom from TikTok, it has created a lot more admin, a lot more customer service. And I just don't have the processes in place to handle that. So I have been handling it and I just need to outsource more of it basically. Or alternatively, I need to put better systems in place. And the other thing that I've had to do is say no to a few things, which is really new for me. As you guys know, I'm really terrible at saying no. Um, but this is kind of one of the lessons that I am taking out of this recent surge in um, um, sales and things is that psychologically, because <laughs> it feels like I'm winning, <laughs> number one competition doesn't want that to stop but also I have created a system and a business that doesn't mean I have to work all of the time and so I could just take the rest of today off and it would be okay because the sales are still going to come in. Um, I feel like I've learned so much in the last few weeks and I really can't wait to do my annual lessons learned um, episode. I think it's going to be super exciting. Uh, the other thing that I have learned <laughs> is that I have such bad timing skills. 
So uh, not only am I releasing a book next month in February, February the 28th, the new book comes out, the new book, which is called House of Crimson Hearts, the first book in the Kingdom of Immortal Lovers, my new sapphic vampire romance series. Not only am I releasing that on February the 28th, I'm also running a webinar, my first webinar in February on the 9th and 10th. And I'm speaking at Pro Writing Aid's um, Romance Writers Week. <laughs> and surprise all, I'm also running a Kickstarter. <laughs> I feel like I'm completely fucking bonkers saying that. Um, I'm, I'm so ridiculously excited for this Kickstarter. But I will say that, um, you know, it is small. Like, I'm just doing this one thing. I'm basically doing special edition, hol holographic foiling, like a bunch of stuff's going into the book to make it ridiculously beautiful. Color, color character art. You guys know if you've listened to this show for any period of time that I have been coveting and lusting after not safe for work character arc that's like queer so that was like my main driver for doing this was getting some beautiful not safe for work character art uh, and having that in the book and so this is kind of my purpose for doing this I'm like I, I honestly crave having special books like all the straight people get special books you know like they have all of these beautiful fantasy books and oh gosh I just I I crave it I covet it um and so that's why I'm producing this basically uh I do appreciate that you know a lot of people who do their first kickstarters have these huge run-ups I'm not having a huge run-up because I'm scared mostly <laughs> so I'm just I have no expectations I'm gonna set a, a reasonably low um, 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 target because <laughs> basically chicken shit and I'm afraid that I'm not going to hit it um, but also because I appreciate that it's niche and not, it's not going to be for everybody uh, but also I'm fucking excited uh, because I want the book <laughs> um, so also yeah that's also why, why I'm doing this because I want the bloody book uh, so yeah Anyway, I hope that by the time this episode airs, the Kickstarter pre-launch page will be live. Uh, I'm working on that today and tomorrow. So the pre-launch page should be up. And then, um, yes, so this is basically um, just a, a beginner first attempt at Kickstarter. And then I'm hope, I hope I might run a different one later in the year, of which I will not talk about right now. Um, but yeah, oh my God, so... This is probably why I'm sick, is basically <laughs> conclusion, because this Wally decided to schedule 17 million big projects all in one month. Who fucking does that? Who does that? This tit, that's who does that. Anyway... Okay, and speaking of all of those different uh, activities and things that I am doing next month, I will leave links in the show notes to pre-order the House of Crimson Hearts. I believe it will also leave links to order from my Shopify because I am going to be doing pre-orders on my Shopify as well all the Shopify and Amazon uh, and the other stores because this book is going wide. All of those will be the standard editions. And if you want the special edition, then you will have to uh, support the Kickstarter, basically. Um, I don't know whether or not I will be able to do something with the special edition uh, going forward, maybe, but I, that's like another thing that I need to learn about. So 
for now, <clears throat> it will be the Kickstarter or standard editions through um, normal digital stores and my Shopify. Um, However, the pros in the market webinar is coming up. By the time this goes out, it will be the 31st of January. So you will only have, um, let's say, like another week, essentially, to join. So what is the pros in the market webinar? Well, writing to market isn't new, but when teachers talk about it, they tend to focus on understanding the market itself, advertising, brand and pitch. But what about the writing and craft of writing to market? If you're tired of trying to work out how to deliver what readers want, then this is the workshop for you. In the session, I'm going to explain how to deconstruct best-selling books and implement the tools you find. So I'm going to be giving you the tools so that you can go away and do that deconstruction in your own genre yourself. I will provide an easy three-step methodology for deconstruction, practical examples of deconstruction and implementation in your own work. So I'll be showing you the practicals. Um, I will also show you why you're not using copywriting enough and where you might want to use it. I'll show you how to intentionally slip TikTokable and marketable scenes into your novels that will hook readers. And then examples of turning that into either a TikTok or an Instagram reel or an ad or whatever social post. I will show you how to convert that into something that will hook readers um, in your advertising. We'll go through examples of viral hooks that work on social media and why they work. We'll look at what's in those hooks and how you can create your own. We'll have a little bit of time on tropes and the craft of those and putting those into your novels. And then we'll look at some live examples as well. And best of all, there's a whole Q&A section where I will not sound this croaky and you will be able to talk to me and we can nerd out and you can ask whatever you want. Um, and you'll get a workbook that will contain some exercises to help you when you go away um, after the session. And remember two things, there are limited places and this will not be for sale afterwards. So if you want to be able to watch the replay, you must have a ticket. And there are three different times uh, in order to try and catch different people across different time zones. Okay, that is enough waffling from me. The rebel of the week this week is Joanne. Joanne says, I'm an introvert and usually shy away from conflict. I come from a large family, but this story is about me and my older sister, who is three years my senior. This means when I was around 11 or so, uh, about the time this story happened, she was already morphing into that most annoying stage of humanity a teenager. She was always bossier than me and even when we had the same chore had to be in charge. I don't remember exactly what she did to cause my rebellious act but I'm sure she deserved it. Coming from a large family, we each had our favourite seat at the kitchen table. My sister's was in the back and by the time she sat down, she was convinced she could not get out as she was pinned between the table and the cupboards behind her. So when she demanded me to get her more water, my mother told me to fetch it for her since I usually sat at the front and it was my chore to set the table. As I walked out from the sink to the kink, so, sorry, from the sink to the kink? No, no. As I walked from the kitchen to the sink, I realised something unique about her order. My, uh, my sister asked for water and water she got. A whole mug of it, mug of it right in the face. <laughs> well, it turns out that she could get out from behind the table and rather fast too. By the time I stopped running... <laughs> My mother asked me why I had done something so out of character. She only asked for the water, not the glass. 
I said, needless to say that my sister was exact in her wording of her requests from then on. Oh, I do love this. I do love sibling squabbles. I can't get a grip. Oh, dear. I did try it out one more time, though. When she asked for a glass of water on a hot summer's day, I filled it to the brim with hot water. Since she has asked, since she had asked for the glass, there was no throwing or running this time. And I was told to replace it with cold water as soon as it landed on the table, which I most likely did. My sister and I get along fine now and no water has been flung into her face since then. Oh dear, I absolutely love this rebellion. There is nothing better than sibling squabbles. Like I'm fascinated by siblings because I am my mother and father's only child, but my my father has um, two more boys and a, a girl and a stepdaughter who he brought up from the age of three. And the bottom three all live together. So they very much have like uh, sibling they very much feel like they were brought up as siblings, whereas I never lived with another sibling. So I very much feel like an only child, even though I have siblings. Um, so I'm one of five. <laughs> and, and, and and so I just find this sibling dynamic so interesting. And like I like sort of the found family aspect of it, even though obviously that's like blood relative family. But anyway, I just find the psychology and dynamics of it very, very interesting. And I I had a conversation with my wife recently, uh, because my wife is one of three, all three girls, and she's the middle child. And I was asking her what the difference is between a sister and a best friend, and where that line sits and what, you know, what does it feel like? How does it feel differently? And yeah, so I just find it super, super interesting. And anyway, that is enough tangential random nonsense from me. God, you can tell I'm sick. I'm not very... <laughs> I'm waffling on on all different tangents. Anyway, welcome and thank you to Camilla Vavruch. I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm sorry if I've butchered that. Um, and a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. I really, really appreciate you guys. I fucking love our community and our Slack group where there are over a hundred uh, authors all chatting and helping and supporting each other. We also have the movie night tonight where we're going to jump on Zoom and all watch a film together. We're watching the first episode of the new uh, Disney uh, Percy Jackson. So that's going to be fun and I'm sure there'll be lots of popcorn thrown at the screen as we just like hang out together basically so come and join the community and you can do that from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black this episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. One way to reach a new audience on Kobo is through their subscription reading service, Kobo Plus. This program has been a great success and is now available in Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands, Portugal, France, Italy, Australia and New Zealand. The great thing about Kobo Plus for authors is that it reaches an entirely new audience who may be trying digital reading for the first time. The Kobo Writing Life team know how important it is that authors retain control of their books and as such exclusivity isn't required. Do you want to try out a book in Kobo Plus Canada but not in the Netherlands? Well you can do that. Simply select the areas you want to be included in the rights and distribution section of your book. 
If you're choosing to publish widely as an author, Kobo encourage you to make your books available to as many readers as possible with Kobo Plus. It's a great way to gain and build an audience. Don't want to opt your books in one by one? The KWL team can bulk opt your books in if you email them at writinglife at kobo.com. If you want to learn more about KWL and Kobo Plus, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and find them on social. Create your free account today at kobo.com forward slash writing life. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm joined by Audrey Huey. Audrey takes pride in creating planners that help authors organize their creative lives and chase their dreams. In her fiction work, she ventures into the realms of horror and thrillers, weaving stories filled with fear and suspense. As an active member of the writing community, she is always ready to lend a supportive hand or a word of encouragement to her fellow authors. When she's not writing or helping others, she enjoys spending time with her family, savouring the beauty of nature and bringing more light into the world. Hello and welcome. Hi, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's wonderful to have you. I always think it's so funny when like the nicest, softest, gentlest humans write horror. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. I, like you're such a positive, lovely, soft energy. Like when I met you in Vegas, and I had no <laughs> yeah. idea you write horror. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. I, but I do like to write, you know, people overcoming the big, scary stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've spoken to a couple of horror authors now, and I used to do a podcast with a chap who was a horror writer. And all of you are these like really positive, like shining kind of sunshine humans. <laughs> like it's such a strange dichotomy. Yeah. But it's like all of you, all of you kind of also say that there's like a hope in horror, which I think yeah. is just a wonderful, a wonderful gift to give readers. Um, but before we dive into like planning and organization and all of that good stuff, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Okay, so where how did I get where I am today? I think that's a fun question to explore. And I think the answer to that evolves every time I talk about it, <laughs> because, you know, I get to have a little more reflection on it every time I'm preparing for something like this. And I remember I was talking to my mom about this the other day. She ran a 4-H club. She did a lot of volunteering. We had um, a horse farm. So she was a 4-H club leader. and. Um, she do uh, riding lessons and train horses and she always had these very extensive lists of things that needed to be done daily. So she was just paper planning and she always had beautiful handwriting. So she'd have like everything super organized in the barn and clipboards hanging up for each horse or, um, you know, each student and exactly what needed to do during their during their next lesson or training session. Um, and I actually think my roots begin there you know, with watching my mom work in that way. Have you ever had your mom Clifton strengths tested? No. <laughs> oh, I'm dying to know. I'm like, oh, is it yeah, achievement? A is idea, it discipline? Though. Is it like, what is it? <laughs> yeah, that would be very interesting. That'd be very interesting. I'm going to have to have her do that now. Yeah. <laughs> I did send her, I just packaged her a nice planner. Um, one of my model planners, I just packaged it up and sent it to her. So. But because um, she she writes too, she's very creative. She's a beautiful artist, actually. Um, oh wow! She see this thing up here? Yeah. It's oh, wow. like um, 
different types of rocks and string and things after she sketched it out she um uh used adhesive to put it all together um in high school oh so wow. she created that so in high school for listeners i'm looking at a uh landscape picture of three different or uh, four different horses um in all different texture and media and it's beautiful yeah <laughs> she's incredibly talented i wish i could do the art part but she also loves writing and now she i finally convinced her to to give writing another shot again that's so, amazing yeah so so my roots begin there and i think that was honed by my nerdy nature and um which i really d- dug into in high school big nerd um i would play tomb raider with my friend my bestie in high school and we would actually play together on the computer. So one of us would have like the action buttons and the other would have the directional keys on the keyboard. And so it was, <laughs> it was wild. Why did we do that? You know? I used to love but, Tomb Raider. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like Tomb Raider 1. Um, so we decided to start doing like country studies in high school. And we had to go alphabetically because that's organized, right? <laughs> so uh started with Afghanistan, which I was just, you know, you're just appalled at what was going on even before 9-11. Um, and so, the, you know, we, we split up the studies and this is, we would like brief each other at lunch. <laughs> so it was super nerdy and I love that. I think I was meant to be that kind of person, obviously. And then I joined the army and uh, did a lot of the same stuff in, and the the army really helped me hone the the discipline the showing up even when you don't feel like it um you don't get to not be motivated <laughs> you know what i mean um or you get in trouble so but it also helped because there's consistently reviews and goal setting it's a it's a cycle that never stops you always have to be improving yourself you have to find three things that you can do better three three things you can do to improve yourself you have to set goals yearly and quarterly um even as an enlisted person they teach you how to chase things they teach you how to if you have a really good nco you get taught how to chase the next thing and always improve yourself so the military was fundamental in bringing me to this point now where i get to Basically, um, I love spreadsheets and planning and systems and <laughs> some kind of structure. And do you know your Clifton strengths? I haven't done that in so long. I can't even remember. No! <laughs> okay, afterwards, you have to email know, me and I'm let terrible. me know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Let me add that to my list at some point list. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Soon, yeah. someday. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we are going to talk about planning. And <clears throat> I feel like I'm like an average planner, I would say. I, I'm pretty, I get a lot of energy from planning. Like I love spreadsheets. I love, what I love is tracking more than anything, but that's because I'm number one competition. So for me, data is everything because it tells me what my performance is. Um, And I have like a annual calendar. And then I have like two whiteboards that I constantly change because I'm never quite finding the right way to plan for me. And part, part of me thinks I never will. And part of me thinks that it is just in my nature to constantly change. And I like new and different. What I'm great at is the big plan. And I'm really shit at then narrowing that down to what actually needs to happen today. But I'm going to ask you about that later. 
first of all, I'd love to know, like, how do you plan? Like, what is your system and how have you got it working like so well for you? I love this. So I spent a lot of time practicing and preparing for this because your questions are so good. I was like, I could talk forever on each of these questions. Um, but for me specifically, I always have my planner on my desk. Um, it's always on my desk. I actually have like a desk with a keyboard tray. And so a lot of times if I have stuff out on the other side of the L, I will put it on the keyboard tray. So it's right there and I can just slide it out. And uh, but I set either Sunday night or Monday morning to do my planning every week. And it takes like 10 minutes. It's not, it does not take a long time. It does get me hyped up for the week to come. And it gives me a time to evaluate, okay, what went right and what could go better, you know, from this past week, what could have gone better. So it depends. I say stay super flexible and I think one of the things that the army instilled in me that has been the most useful thing has been the motto adapt and overcome. So I try to stay highly flexible and that's what I want to bring to the planning community is the idea of flexibility. Um, I my youngest child is two years old, so I have to be highly flexible and because she's a covid boom baby um she there, there's no classes even you know if we could afford daycare because it's just outrageous right now you know what i mean um it's they're all full the waiting lists are outrageous there's no place for her to go in this area you know so um I, I don't really have that option of having daycare. So I have to stay flexible on my days and find ways to manage being mom and being, um, you know, writer, planner, um, helper, and, you know, all the other hats that we get to wear um, as parents and people in, you know, these creative professions. So for me, I stay super flexible. I understand my priorities, my top four priorities, self, because we can't do anything if we're not taking care of ourselves. Family, because um, it's more important for me to have a good relationship with my family than anything else. If that's all I leave behind, you know, I mean, that would suck, but at the same time, that'd be better than leaving behind 100 published books and no family, you know, or my my family hates me. Um, And then three, my writing, because that's my identity and my life goals and for income to pay for all the editing and covers so (laughs) i am a cover hoarder but yeah so once you know i'm very clear on my priorities and then i set my goals and tasks based on those priorities and i prioritize my tasks or my waystones throughout the week you know so my waypoints so if i have um you know, next week, just focusing on a co-writing project. I know, okay, I need to get so many chapters done. Oh, plus I'm going to set up my workshops for February. Oh, and I'm going to do, you know, retreat prep and this thing and this thing and this thing. I know what my number one is. If everything else falls away, I know that I got the one most important thing done that I can be the most proud of. And how do you choose that one thing? Because I am very, very good at 
piling the shit on my plate and mm-hmm. like Same. I I juggle so much like maybe not quite as much as you like I only have one child <laughs> um but <clears throat> I do juggle stupid amounts and I put loads on my plate as well and I'm really bad at saying no I like I say yes yeah. way too often um, and as a result, some of the, one of the things like I've always been told, oh, I'll use the Eisenhower matrix, use the Eisenhower matrix. But I'm like, it doesn't work for me because everything in my brain is important and everything is urgent. So like, do you have any mechanisms for deciding the priority? Like I actually at the minute, I funny enough, <laughs> I actually said to my wife today, I wish I'd taken today off because I am exhausted. And it's because I have gotten to the point where I said yes to so many things again, even though I got really good at saying no last year, I've fallen back into old habits and I'm firefighting. So the way that I am prioritizing at the moment is like, what is either screaming the loudest or what has an imminent deadline? Like, and that's it. But I always feel that that's really unhealthy for me because of the amount of pressure it puts on me. So like, how do we, how do we prioritize so we're not firefighting instead of like, you know, you know, planning an ambush on your to-do list? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. this is something that everyone has struggled with. I struggle with. Um, recently, I was feeling very overwhelmed myself because I, you know, my word of the year is collaboration. I want to be working with people. I want to be doing lots of things. I want to show up bigger this year. And that means collaboration for me. And one of the things I do is I say, you know, what is most important for me to do? What have I not been doing that has possibly been the missing ingredient? Right. Mm. And for me, that was showing up bigger, which is hard to do with a two year old, you know, <laughs> one to two year old. But still, um, you know, that's why I'm here at 4 a.m. So <laughs> I am so honestly um, impressed. <laughs> Although I have to say, knowing actually that you have a background in the army does help. I was in the cadet army cadets as a teenager yeah. and, and I joined back as an adult instructor for a while. And I tell you what, there's nothing like instilling discipline in you. I nearly I, I actually went all the way through to become an officer in the army. And I had, I think, two rounds of interviews left. Um, and I just the commitment that they needed from me because I was going to university was like four years after the four years of university. And I was like, I'm so young. I don't know what I want in eight years time. Yeah. So I didn't do it. But I was like this close to being in the army, <laughs> yeah. which is so interesting that that's also your background. <laughs> yeah. But I think the biggest tool I use that I could if I can impart anything on someone to help them, it's just I keep a notebook I might oh, a lot of notebooks. Let's be real. Yes. I keep a lot of notebooks, but I keep one always right next to my keyboard. And when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I will write down all the things that are bothering me or that I think need to be done. And then I only get to highlight three. Oh, oh my God. And let me tell you, Sasha, this I feel hot about this. Away, I know, but this strips away everything that guess what? Even though it's screaming in our mind that it's important, it's it's just what's called an open loop. It is an open loop and actually writing it down and having it there where you can see it like takes that burden off of your mental capacity to an extent. And then you get to make that choice. What are these three things that I have to do now? And you know what I actually prioritize on those three things? Things that can be done in five minutes or less. Mm-hmm. 
And that gives me momentum. And then when I cross those off and I get the teeny little dopamine hit from crossing that thing physically off my list, I highlight three more things. And then boom, what can I work on right now? And it's all about putting your head down and moving forward. And I always say like some people are, um, uh, what is it? Something about being, you know, really smart people overthink it and, and don't do the thing because they're too busy overthinking it and really stupid people just put their head down, do the thing. And that's why they get stuff done. Right. (laughs) I think I'm like a combination of those two because I will overthink it. And then I'm just like, I can't wait on this anymore. I just got to get it done. You know, um, I'm just too, uh, once I decide on something, I'm too bullheaded to quit, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that having that little build up with the three things, the three easy things that can be done in five minutes or less. Uh, sometimes we put off responding to an email. Sometimes we put off calling uh, the bank or whatever it is. I, I don't do just writing tasks. I put everything from the house, the family, the financials, the family budget. That was the thing I needed to do yesterday. And I ended up zooming through my list yesterday um when it came down to oh shoot there's some things that um you know i have my plan i do different types of time blocking categories of time blocking versus specific tasks and that gives me more freedom if i'm feeling constrained Mm -hmm. um but yeah this this just brain dump quick brain dump and you know, highlight three things because the rest of the things that shows you, that shows you what's most important when you have to make that choice. What do you never leave out of your planning? Or like, what is like a key element for you that you feel more of us should be including in our planning? Daily top priority. And this is something I have like on my weekly layout in the planner. But if you know exactly the one most important thing that needs to be done each day, and I've already said that, but it's seriously so important to know what is the one thing that you can't finish your day without doing. And do you decide that by like, so if you, if we think about the Eisenhower matrix and some things are like important, but not urgent or like important and urgent, and then, you know, what, however they go around, how do you pick that one thing? Is it always like the big project that you're working on for work or like, is it whatever is urgent or? Yeah. So it depends on the season of things. Um, and Sometimes I'm in a season where on Mondays I do social media on Tuesdays, I'll work on blogging or, um, and, and Wednesdays is just a writing day. That's, that's pretty consistent. Wednesdays is get in the words, you know, and I'll have either a word count requirement for myself or a time spent requirement. And I love that you said data because I track all my time doing literally everything so that I can (laughs) analyze like am I spending my time well? Yeah. And in alignment with what I say I want out of my life. So, so yeah, I, I, sometimes I'm in the season where each, you know, I have my week structured by what I'm doing each day of the week. And sometimes I have a big project like next week, uh, or actually this weekend and into next week, it's all um, a collaboration project every single day. Now I do have smaller tasks that fit in to that day, but the most important thing I need to do is work on that collaboration project because it's so important to me. Um, uh, and not just because, oh, it's this thing I wanna do, but I've really looked at 
this project um, and working with this person and this company as something that if I find fulfilling, I find fulfilling for my life goals. I find it, um, it resonates with the identity and the way that I want to show up in the world. And that's more important than, um, you know, I don't know, uh, going grocery shopping or something like that. Okay. <laughs> I will go grocery shopping, but that's not the most important thing I'm going to do that day. You know what I mean? How, how do you cope with, and so for me, I suppose this comes out in a couple of different ways. Part of it is mum guilt, but um, part of it is like the guilt of the pressure of all of the administration tasks which is like a huge list so like mm -hmm. I'm pretty good so one of the things that I've had to instill now is that I write with somebody else and we do sprints together because if I know that she's turning up to write I know that I have to prioritize that writing um but literally I've only done that since the last book and fuck knows how many books I've written over the years but <laughs> so like this is very new to me so this experience of kind of the guilt and the pressure of a like all the admin burden and like b I don't know like the house stuff or the life stuff or whatever like how do you prioritize that one thing because I have really bad habits where like I'll still get the important thing done because I will just work until my eyes bleed, but that's not healthy, right? <laughs> it's not yeah. the point. Um, how do you, like, do you have any, any advice for actually giving yourself permission to do the important thing? I think that's the problem. I really struggle to give myself permission. I know it's the most important thing, mm -hmm. but I prioritize everybody else. And I think that that is a mum thing maybe, or like a carer yeah. thing, to, yeah. you know, if you have a, a parent or someone that you're looking after or, you know, yeah, I don't just speak to me about that I suppose yeah you know I love this and it I, I hate to be too redundant but it does come back to prioritization so there's a great example um uh sometimes writing is self-care and so when I'm like oh my gosh I need to get the words in because I'm it's a, the lack of word count is affecting my perception of self or my self-esteem then I'm like okay I need a sprint buddy <laughs> You know what I mean? And I just reach out to my friends and see who's available. And usually, you know, thankfully I've made so many amazing friends and somebody wants to write. <laughs> it is a given, you know what I mean? Or I can just get on this big, scary TikTok or the Instagram live and go live and sprint. And it's still like pressure because, you know, if your friends do check in on you, you want to be actually writing <laughs> and not looking up something down the bunny hole. But um, uh, the prioritization comes into play, too, because I know that um, last night I would rather be um, preparing for the workshop today and proct I like to practice, but I need to feel good. So the workshop is related to my writing. It's like a combo of my writing and income priorities. And I, um, but, you know, that number one priority is always self. And I knew that I needed a healthy meal. I knew that I needed brain food. I could just make a sandwich. I'm not supposed to have bread though. <laughs> so I could make a sandwich and make it real quick, but I stopped, I took the time and it doesn't actually take that as long as I think it does in my head. And I chopped veggies and I made myself a Greek salad and I felt so much better for it. And then when I got back to my practice, I felt so 
I felt so much lighter than if I had done, you know, eating the thing I was not supposed to eat and just gotten right back to work. I had the break. I had the time for my mind to rest while my hands were chopping. Mm -hmm. And that prioritization of self um, actually like frees up your mental capacity to let go of some of that guilt. But it it's a practice. It's a practice to say, no, I'm going to go spend an hour and a half at the gym because for some reason it takes that long to get ready, go to the gym, be at the gym, and then come back. And uh, I, I do the hydro massage afterward, so I reward myself for going to the gym. But that I have so many ideas. I do my best brainstorming at the gym. I am just full of ideas when I'm exercising. Same. So, yeah, it's uh, I, prioritizing yeah. self helps. <laughs> It's funny because I, I go to a boot camp and it's one of the things that I, um, so I had <laughs> right before Vegas, I stopped because I was so stressed about Vegas. I just couldn't, it was like yeah. all I could think about. Um, but, and then I got injured when I came back. So I hadn't, hadn't been for two months and I cannot believe the difference. I've now been going again for about two, three weeks and I can't believe the difference. I sleep better. Uh, my brain is clearer. Um, like I'm more able, I'm more resilient, which is weird mm -hmm. because I'm more worn down physically, but I'm actually more mentally resilient, which I think is just the most weird um, position to be in. But I am like, I, I try pretty hard to make sure I go at least three times a week. And I try to do it during the working week as well. But um, it's so funny. You're like, oh, I reward myself afterwards with the hydro pool. I punish myself and get in the plunge pool, the ice bath. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it, it, like, for how fucking horrific it is, I do actually find I recover quicker because my muscle, the inflammation isn't as bad. So like I do yeah. actually recover. So in a weird way, like even though it is the most horrendous experience, like actually <laughs> I'm back back to, you know, being able to batter myself quicker, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard such great things about that. I wish I had access to one, but yes. Yeah. It's there's yeah. so many things we do to reward ourselves that can seem like punishment yeah. too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, are there any other mistakes that you see people doing when when they try and plan? Any any things that like maybe trip people up? Any things that you think actually, you know, if you just did this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, there's one big thing. I've been trying to find a succinct way to say this, and I think I found it. Planning is about ideas, not edicts. It is not something that should be set in stone. And if you don't follow your plan perfectly, you're like, oh, planning doesn't work for me. You know, uh, people, I think, give up on it really quickly um, without taking the time to experiment and learn. It's more of a self-exploration. It's finding out about yourself and what you can do. Like if um, my car is not running, right and i take it to the mechanic and they don't fully diagnose it i don't want to pay the full diagnostic fee right but i want i want it fully diagnosed i want to know if something's not working in my life how do i fix it and i can only do that by experimentation by troubleshooting and by um, experiencing with self-awareness with mindfulness okay what's going right and what's not going right do you know, I 
until you said this exactly like this, I've never realized what I do. So with my goals, I do good, better, best always all three. <laughs> and that's since having coaching because, and it, and I think I probably do good, better, best for different reasons than other people do it for me as a number one competition, number two achiever, I like ticking things off. So that's three things I can tick off, but also it means I can win at good. I can win at better and I can win at best. However, with planning, I always plan as if I'm going to hit the best. And I would rather have to replan and continue. And I've always been so resistant to like planning in more slippage time than what I'm comfortable with. Like, don't get me wrong. I track so much that I'm I'm pretty accurate. I can, I know exact. I know it takes me three weeks to write a book, for example, and and it's yeah. very unusual for me not to hit that now because I've done it so many times. So I'm very good at estimating that. But what I'm not so good at estimating is all the shit around it. Um, <laughs> so like I, I'm pretty well, and also I'm so focused that once I start drafting, that's it. Nothing else happens. Like literally, nothing else will happen. And it's the same for editing. Once I'm in that editing week, that's it. Nothing else gets done. But um, I would rather plan that I'm going to hit the best goals all of the time and have to replan and adapt to that than I would plan for good because I don't feel like I'm mo planning to achieve good doesn't motivate me. I would rather try mm -hmm. it, try to hit best and fail and have to retry again than I would yeah. set something more realistic, which is terrible advice for 90% of people listening who should plan for good. I know. I, I actually don't think it is. I think really? it just needs a, a tweak. Okay. <laughs> I think it needs a tweak. Okay. Yeah. Um, I love that you know how long it takes you to write a book and how long it takes you to edit that book. That yeah. is huge. A lot of people don't know that. Okay. Mm. And for those people, I say your number one priority is working on writing the words, finishing that first draft. Oh, once that's done, you go into the next stage of the process, for example. So, they don't necessarily need to say, oh, I'm going to have this book done by March if they've never written a book before. Yeah. Yeah. Tracking that's, should be the first. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say I would be planning month by month and week by week. Okay. How did I do? What stage am I in? And doing it that way if you're still learning how fast you write. Okay. Um, and then uh, for someone like you, I'd be saying, okay, well, you already know um, how long it takes you to write a book, how long it takes you to edit a book. You should always shoot for best. The tweak is if you have those other things that you feel like you take a hit when you don't get them done at best, well, what priority do they fall in? How important are they compared to writing and finishing the book? Because that writing and finishing the book and editing and getting it out there uh, trumps a lot of things because it affects all those other priorities it affects your sense of self it affects your family because it's income and and it affects obviously your writing and that legacy that you're creating that you're yeah building. yeah oh i completely agree and like the the worst one for me is that i do actually so whilst i can write a book very quickly i have to have gaps between so i don't do that month on month off yep. it's just that once i get to that point it all comes out very quickly um but the thing that i'm terrible at prioritizing is thinking space and like allowing myself to mood board or allowing myself to like look in coffee table books because that is where the stories come from allowing myself to binge watch john wick 
one, two, three, and four back yeah. to back because <laughs> that's my inspiration for a new series or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. And like, I really struggled to prioritize that because it feels indulgent. It feels like it's not work, eh, mm-hmm. in air quotes. Um, but, but, but yeah, I feel like I'm getting way off track here. Um, not at all. Okay. So, I mentioned at the top of this episode that I'm really good at knowing what my end goal is. I know what the finish line is. I know what I'm trying to win. What I'm not so good at is then breaking that down into quarter, month, week. Now, I get a lot done. So maybe I just don't need to do it. But I feel calmer when I do have that planned out. So like, what advice do you have for breaking that stuff down? Because I tell you, I have tried every which way to to be able because I know what I have to do. I just go, oh, there's the goal. I know what I need to do. Boom, off I go like a rocket. But that doesn't, that leads to me firefighting all the rest of the shit in my yeah. life. Well, can you give me an example of something that you're having trouble breaking down? Um, yes. Oh, when is this going out? One second, because <laughs> I may like be giving away little secrets now <laughs> to, to, yeah. to listeners. Um, so, I mean, for example, um, let me try and think. Um, well, okay. So let's say we go to this year and I'm like, okay, I want to do at least six books this year. I'm like, great. I know how long it takes me. And I'll like plot that on, on the whiteboard and I'll plot like, these are my word counts. These, this is when I'm editing. This is when I'm launching. Um, and, um, so I'm good at that, but then like, I don't do anything else. I don't plot anything else. So I don't plot the time it's going to take me to do all the launch stuff, the, the outreach, the writing captions for social media, writing launch emails, um, advertising, anything else like that. Um, so I'm bad at like breaking stuff down like that, I suppose, or like say I'm going to deliver a webinar, like I will just have to squeeze that into the times in between. I'm thinking about running a Kickstarter next month and um, like breaking that down. Like I'll know that I've got a list of shit that I need to do. Okay, so let me start talking now. So yeah, for like any project, I'll know that there's like a list of stuff that needs doing and I'll be very good at writing that list of stuff, but I'm not very good at then putting that onto the days of the week or, you know, yeah, stuff like that basically. Yeah, so um, I to me, it sounds like you're a project-oriented person. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it would definitely benefit you to do like um, things like content batching so that you don't have to worry about doing social media or doing the administrative tasks when you're in project mode. Yeah. Um, so in between books or ahead of a Kickstarter and after a Kickstarter, um, that's when I'd be doing your administrative tasks. But during the Kickstarter or when you're preparing to do the Kickstarter and you have that list of tasks, I would try to get everything else off your plate. That's reasonable, right? Within reason. And then say, and then write your list in the best order you can for Kickstarter, because you know you need copy, you know you need graphics, you know you need the reward tiers. And usually you need the reward tiers before you start doing all that copywriting. Um, So you're gonna need a lot of um, stuff in order in order to do um, that really well. So I think it's not as much about saying which day do you do this tasks, uh, as much as I would just say for you for planning, on these days I'm doing I'm project focused. 
I might have appointments here and there. Um, I might have podcast interviews. I might have, um, you know, a doctor appointment. I might have family time. But during my core work hours, this is my project focus. This is what I'm doing. Um, and just let yourself not have to worry about the other stuff. The other stuff, the world is not going to end. You're all the amazing stuff you're doing is not going to fall apart if you don't do those little things. It's amazing what happens when you strip away all the extra and just keep showing up. It's crazy what can happen. But for that, yeah, project focus, keep your list and uh, you know what has, what order that has to be done in. So don't assign it to a day. You know, I normally set myself a time limit for certain tasks. Otherwise I'll you know, probably take too long on it. Um, uh, for me, that's how I keep my time from being excessive. Cause you know, there's a um, law about how uh, work will fill the time that you allow yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. What is that what? helpful? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is. And funny enough, like Wednesdays are my admin and podcast day and I try I try really really hard to have all my meetings and all my podcast stuff on Wednesdays because um I do struggle with fractured focus like if I have um extra days with different pod and it's never perfect but I try very hard to have big blocks of time because I much prefer to like batch and do all the admin on a day or all like and apart from writing which I try to not go over because I can write like 10,000 words in a day, but then I am exhausted. So I try to not write more than 6,000 in a day. So doing that, I know I need a certain amount of time to do that. And then then I can do the rest of the stuff the, the other days. Do you have any advice for like stumbling blocks when you hit an obstacle, when you fail to meet like a, a, a timeline target or, you know, when you have to redo your plan? Like how how can we build resilience there? Yeah, um, I love this because I'm all about resilience. Like I said, adapt and overcome. You cannot do anything about what's happened before. All you can do is um, try to do better going forward, right? Uh, So this actually kind of relates to mom a little bit. But one thing that I learned from the pandemic when the kids were home and I actually stopped writing horror and thrillers and I have a secret romance pen name because I could not take any more darkness during that time, Yeah, you know? So I wrote um, two and a half romance novels really quick. um, And then I kind of got stuck, but I was like, this isn't my genre anyway, (laughs) but I do love it. But anyway, um, but at first, the kids were coming to see me and to interact with me. And I'm like, no, I had plans to write this at this time. And, you know, uh, and then I would get really mad at, uh, at first I, you know, snap at them and I feel horrible. And then I would be like, you know, is this just, I don't get to do anything while they're home? No. And I had to come to this place where I understood that first priorities, I, I want them to have a good experience with me writing. I don't want them to exper- to associate me writing with something negative or a negative feeling or emotion or memory. Um, but also when I um, would have those experience, what I learned was, um, and from working on uh, creating workbooks for someone, uh, for Heather Stang, she's a grief counselor and she has this course on grief. And it was amazing because I had to go through the course to build a workbook. 
And she talks about like breath focused meditation in a way that I had just, and she has this really soothing voice and podcast too. And um, like you, you know, you could listen to her all day, but um, she talked about uh, when you're meditating and you're trying to focus, a lot of people, they get really upset when um, other things distract them. I think, oh, I just can't meditate. And it's like, no, let it in acknowledge that thought that was really important to your mind and then let it go and return to that breath focus and i thought well what if i apply that to my sweet little kids who just want to spend time with mom because they don't always want to it's small moments i know that priority comes above all the other things so when they would come to me i let them in my bubble uh, and sometimes they go into their bubble, <laughs> but I let them in that bubble and then, oh, okay, I, you know, this is the time I get to stop and focus on them. And then once they're ready to go, I let them go and I return back to this. And yes, I have to spin up my focus again because we know changing tasks can slow down that, um, slow down that pace and we have to rebuild, but that's okay. I mean, that's life. We're not in a box and most of us um, writing from home are not able to just sit, you know, for eight hours a day, like we were in a cubicle or something with no distractions. I mean, that's not real life. So I think the biggest thing in building resilience is whatever distractions come, whatever um, planning obstacles come when, when things hit you. I've worked with so many people who are both either parents or they're caregiving for elderly relatives. And the big thing that keeps coming back is let those things come in, let them go and then get back to work. You have to work on your bounce back and you have to let go of the anger and resentment that can come from caring for the people that you love. You know, when, when you feel like it's interfering with your plans, well, the plan is just a guideline. It's like, for me, I, I like two different analogies. One, it's like, if you're going up a mountain in the snow, in a snowstorm you have guidelines, right? There are guidelines to keep you on the path. They don't have to be perfect and you don't always know where you're going. You know where you wanna go. And as long as you know that destination, you know, you can keep moving forward. Or if you're taking uh, another good um, analogy that I love that I heard, first heard from Carrie Green um, was if you're driving from New York to San Francisco or whatever and you know, you know where you're going to go, you know, the different waypoints, different cities you're going to be going through, but sometimes there's going to be detours. Sometimes uh, there's going to be traffic jams and sometimes you're going to need to slow down, but you still know what that end destination is. So every time we, we get to a pit stop, we evaluate and we adjust our plan and know that the time doesn't change the destination. Yeah, I love that. That's so much more sane and rational than I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's a practice. Like I, I, I like, you know, with that military structure, if we yeah. have a target, we hit it. Yeah. You know, but I, I had to, you know, I'm one person. I'm not the whole army and everybody working together. Um, and, and a lot of times we're very, very small businesses as writers. And so we have to allow for, Am I going to hurt my mind and my self-esteem by saying that every time I plan, I'm doing something wrong? Or a lot of times I hear the I words, you know, the I statements. And it's, um, it's 
you know, taking on this idea that you can run like a machine and always hit every target, like, you know, vehicles don't do that. We don't have anything in our society that works perfectly, maybe outside of nature. So, you know, and in our nature, we need high times and low times. We need like an op tempo, an operational tempo that allow us, allows us high mission times and low times to just manage administrative stuff. Okay, so I brought your amazing planner when I was in Vegas, or actually I pre-ordered it. Um, but <laughs> can you tell everyone a little bit about that? Like, how do you make your own planner? Like, how do you go from, oh, I need a planner, nothing is working, to actually being able to like print, make, and deliver your own planner? Yeah, so this was... um. Uh, I'm going back to Carrie Green here. Um, she's in the UK and she had made a planner in 2017 for 2018. And I really wanted it because I just love all things Carrie Green. And, uh, it, but it was going to be over $100 after the conversion and the um, shipping from the UK. And it just was not in my budget at that time. And I was like, okay, I'll save up and, you know, I'll hustle. And then uh, I was halfway through NaNoWriMo that in 2017 when um, I was like, okay, I got the money, I'm gonna go buy it. And they were all sold out. And I was like, you know what? I keep going through planners. I keep, I keep picking up planners, starting them, not using them all the way. I got the passion planner, the panda planner, and they were like too pretty to use. You know, <laughs> it was oh, something yeah. where, yeah, yeah. And I, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to make my own. I know that I need an organize a system to get organized, to be adaptable, to understand what's going on when, and whatever I've been doing in the past isn't working. And Carrie Green's planner is not an option anymore. I'm just going to make my own. And so I started doing a concept in pages, and I was, you know, 300 pages, pages in when I real. Yep, Apple Pages. What? And I oh was 300 pages in before I realized, oh, wait, this is actually formatting this. So <laughs> and I finished that first prototype in two weeks. Um, I did nothing but work on that. I barely ate. Um, you know, I, I did as much as I could with my family without being like I was on fire. And it was one of those moments, like I said, I had to just be that bullheaded person, turn off my brain and overthinking and just do the thing. Oh God, I yeah. love it. I literally love it. Like I have thought about doing my own planner multiple times, um, but I actually think that part of the way that I plan is to like burn through a planner for a few weeks and then just bin it and start a new one. And like, I think <laughs> I just like, I have never ever completed a planner ever. If that's not true, actually, that isn't true. The Clever Fox 13 week planner I have completed four times. Um, and I think it's because it's such a short period of time. And like you said, I'm such a project-based person that I almost need project-based or like time periods that are shorter than a year. Um, because I just like, there's too much change for me to um, stick with a planner for, for a whole year. I, I feel different or like as the projects move, I don't feel like I can be in that planner anymore. It's such a weird 
thing to say yeah. but yeah like that's interesting yeah it is that's and, why i created a quarterly too for some yeah. people just they they a 90 day period is fantastic for making massive progress and getting hyper focus on yeah. a project or yeah. a couple of projects yeah becca syme has um she uses these ones that are like monthly ones and i was like oh my god i'd fucking love that but you can't i don't think you can get them in the uk cheaply which is why i've always been like oh like i wish i could blah 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 and then i've never done it and i've just constantly like supported my stationary habit <laughs> yeah. by just buying yeah. more and more planners but yeah I love what you were saying about um oh you know they're too good they're too perfect they're too pretty between Sarah Cannon and Ines Johnson like they have both given me permission to just like fucking stick stickers and shit everywhere mm-hmm. and like just like not be so precious over it and like now my planners are like coffee stained and crumbs in them and like like but actually there's something really sensory about that because i'm like yeah look at the hard work i've done you know yeah my you can't hardly see it anymore but my 2023 has coffee stains and it's like (laughs) it's so fluffy now from all the stickers and at the end i used like um scrapbook like things yeah i love it but there's something yeah. really sensory about paper that's like been used and yes. worn and it's all crinkly. Like, oh, I'm just in the, I know it is good. And I, I did see something um, that I, I thought I, I wanted to share as much as possible. You know, life is short. You have no idea how short it is, right? You know, write in the pretty notebook write and get messy in your pretty planner. Use yeah. the pretty pens. Stop use the pretty stickers. Them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For me, yes. that's that's what it's been. Like I have a box like this. Okay. So for listeners, I would say my box is probably the, the size of like a football and a half of just stickers that I've brought over the yeah. years. And like I wouldn't use them. I would buy them and, and hoard them and and you know protect mm-hmm. them. And then I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Just buy another sticker if you need another yes. sticker. Like use the fucking pretty sticker. So now I do. Now I just I like. I'm like almost the other way and I'll like on purpose force myself to just use the nice sticker and just put it somewhere. Um, But yeah, like it's, there's so much permission giving, I think, but okay. Well, this is the rebel author podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Awesome. So I had plenty of time to think about this. It was so hard to pick a time because I feel like I, I go against the grain quite a bit. Oh, I love Um, it. Yeah, yeah, I, I have a really bad habit. <laughs> or just that's my personality. Both too bullheaded, maybe. But um, I think the hardest time I went and, and did the rebellious thing was that after I got my bachelor's of arts in English with a concentration in writing, I did not go for the MFA. And that was a huge decision. I went for the master's in history. Oh wow. And for me, it was knowing that I was already part of the indie community and knowing how the indie community is perceived in academic circles. Um, I know a lot of amazing people with MFAs and who are still um, self-publishing, and but I knew that I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that I would say something and I'd probably piss off one of my professors, right? But... Um, it was partly that and understanding that I would be protecting my mental health and probably spending my money better if I 
followed what I love, which I love history. I love in mine is specifically ancient and classical history. So and that I I really, really want to be a fantasy author. Um, I've been practicing with horror and thrillers and building my craft and skills so that I can be good, hopefully <laughs> the dream. Right. But I thought, man, I, I have so many more ideas about um, historical figures and situations that I can basically insert into my writing for fantasy. And just uh, it's amazing what these cute little stories, not cute, <laughs> not usually tragic, these stories that are trapped in history that nobody knows about, like Prince, I, I, Prince Edward or, or no, Prince Eugene of Hungary during the um, Ottomans trying to invade. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> have you started writing the fantasy? Yes, yes. Okay, I have good. three short stories out. I have um, two major novels in the works. I'm in the brainstorming and building my my structure phase, my beat sheets. So. Oh, okay, excellent, excellent. Otherwise, I was going to challenge you to rebel against those. Like, I have to be, I have to be good <laughs> expectations and just fucking do it. Just yeah. write it because yeah. you have permission. Oh, I love yes. that so much. Would you like to tell everyone uh, where they can find out more about you, your books, and anything else you'd like to add? Awesome. Thank you. Uh, AudreyHuey.com and anywhere on social media. I'm Audrey is writing. If you like my fun fiction stuff, which is a lot of horror and thrillers, but we're going to be shifting. I do have a very exciting co-writing project this year and uh, with a really amazing author who's already in the space, but it's post apoc so I just go all over the genres. I think that's another way I'm a rebel. But I am, if you want to see more planning stuff and planning tips, it's at the right services. I thought it was so clever, like W-R-I-T-E, <laughs> the right services. Um, but I, I'll be posting a lot of planning stuff and tips and motivation and all the feel good, positive stuff to lift people up. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you uh so much for having me. You are so welcome. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Audrey Huey and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm talking to Clayton Noblet from Written Word Media all about publishing in the next year, two years. We're looking at publishing predictions, publishing trends and their author survey from 2023. So join me for a bit of industry um, discussions, shall we say, next week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.